Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining me, Aubrey, our co-host, Aubrey. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I am hanging in there. How are you doing? <laughs> you know what? That's honesty right there. And I That's appreciate that. That's honesty right there. Yeah. Because I grew up in the South and most, in the, most of the time in the South, you're like, I'm doing great, brother. I know you're not supposed to really answer that question. Are you supposed to be like, I'm doing great. How about you? It always does throw people off when you just kind of come back with an honest answer though. Yeah. I used like, to just say, oh. I'm fine. Thanks. <laughs> and just kind of leave it like that. How about you? I'm fine. Thanks. How about you? Yeah. And then if you really want to talk, we'll grab Then we can actually talk. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you are a four on the Enneagram, so you are authentic. <laughs> I value authenticity. <laughs> yes. And you, I don't want to be like everyone else. So I have to give a different answer. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. That's ridiculous. You know, we are kicking off a series and I'm particularly excited about this because it's an area I'm passionate about. We've, I've at, Christy and I have actually dreamed through some of these things. Oh, wow. Um, but the series is on adoption. Yeah, I'm very excited about this series too. It's, it's, uh, it's a very, man, I, there's some stories in this that are just heart-wrenching and you're like, mm-hmm. wow, like it just shows me, honestly, the resilience of a human heart who has Jesus at right. the helm. I mean, you're like, yeah. wow, this is unbelievable. And I, I think there's something so beautiful about the whole concept of adoption because it shows us our position mm. in the kingdom. Right. You know, there, this whole idea. And, and so, you know, as, as pastors, as preachers, you and I, as pseudo theologians, right? We would like to think ourselves <laughs> armchair, armchair theologians, theologians right? <laughs> right? You know, we've thought often about this idea of adoption from a theological standpoint. Right. And why it's so profound when you hear stories of someone getting welcomed into the family and brought to the yeah. table when they didn't normally deserve or, mm. you know, I don't know if deserves the right word, but they weren't normally placed at that table. They weren't actually, yeah, placed at that yeah. table naturally or biologically or whatever, but they were invited in and have all the rights of the the biological children or whatever. It is really a beautiful metaphor of the gospel. Well, that's why I think this series, even if you are not like, hey, we're looking at a, to adopt or we're, these stories are going to touch you because they're going to open your eyes up to the love of the father you know, how many times do we see instances and story and references to the idea of adoption in scripture? You know? I mean, right. From the Old Testament, all spanning right. the New Testament. Yeah, you just see God's heart. Right. I mean, you see God's heart for the, the fatherless and the yep, orphan, exactly. right? You see that, but then you see that the Lord says, we were once children of wrath, but not right. any longer. Right. We are adopted sons and daughters. Yeah. It's, it's really powerful. And to really shake your worldview a little bit, hello, if you, you know, happen to have a geocentric worldview of American culture, most of us are not Jewish who are listening to this. There may be some Jewish listeners. We are, a lot of us, evangelical Christians Yeah, living in, a, in the United States of America. We definitely have some international listeners as well, yeah. all around the globe, but we were all grafted in. Mm. We were all adopted into this whole thing. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture when um, 
you know, Peter goes to Cornelius's house, like Peter's yeah. dreaming about, he's dreaming about food and he's dreaming about things yeah. he's never <laughs> been able to eat as a good Hebrew, right? right? And he's like, Lord, what is this dream about? And then he gets invited to Cornelius's house, this Roman officer, mm. and God has said to him in the dream and reminds him again, do not call unclean what I right. have called clean. Right. And I feel like that's that's adoption, yep. right? That, that a group of people who were once far away from God, who actually aren't inheritors originally of God's yeah. love and God's covenant, now are grafted that's in, it. like you said. It's so powerful. So powerful. Which, by the way, I'll take that opportunity to do a shameless plug, because... Some of you were coming to Israel with us in October of 2020. COVID obviously uh, pushed that back. We yep. have rescheduled the trip. You can go to our our site, nothingiswaste.com slash Israel for October 2021. And if you go on that trip with us, we will take you to Simon the Tanner's house. <gasps> Come on, that's so cool. We will take you there where Peter had this vision. Okay, that's awesome. I feel like now Kevin and I have to go. Yeah, well, yeah, of Done. course. That's just Done. No, no brainer. Speaking of dreams, that's one of the things they mentioned in this interview, mm. this conversation they talk about, and I thought it was so profound, the death of a dream, which we've talked about before, the layers of loss. And when you lose yeah. somebody physically, if you lose a loved one, um, you're, you're losing more than just their presence physically. Right. You're losing all of the things that you guys formulated together, dreamt of together that you, you know, these ideas that you had f moving forward. And that's just as much part of the grief process mm -hmm. of having to lament and mourn the death of a dream. I think often in grief, that is one of those things is that we're grieving about the what ifs or yeah. the what could have been. I think about, I have a really good friend who lost a baby after he was um, two days old. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, um, we spent time doing just in kind of partnering with her in her grief was going through these Halloween costumes yeah. that she had for like his future years. Wow. And that was the, obviously the death of a dream, like right. that one, you know, one year he was going to be a teddy bear and the next year he was going to be a dinosaur or whatever yeah. it was that, um, that certainly is, is a painful, but important part of the grieving yeah. process. Yeah, it's, it sure is. And, you know, what God always does with our losses, you know, the, the way I like to frame it up is, is what the enemy stole from us, mm. right? Because that's what is happening. All that's of this right. stuff is a result of the brokenness of this world. And we have a very real enemy that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy is what Jesus says. Yeah. And so what God wants to do is he wants to then turn this around for good. That's the whole point of this podcast and mm. often what I've found in my own life when there's been a death of a dream is that that death of a dream or what appears to be the death of a dream is actually the delay of a mm. dream. And then the dream has been shifted and changed to line mm. up with the redemptive heart of God. That's good. Like you see this, I mean, I think the best story to illustrate this is the story of Joseph right? in, in scripture, right? I mean, he has these dreams, two dreams that we're aware of. Where Actual his, dreams, right? <laughs> right. His brothers are bowing down to him. His father and mother mm -hmm. are bowing down to him. And then he gets sold off into slavery. That right there is the death of a dream. At this yes. point, especially when he's in prison, Potiphar's prison, right? And he's yeah. like, there's no way this dream is coming true. God, I yep. thought that this was, I looked, I saw a different trajectory for my life. This is what you had for me. This was exactly. your promise for me. Yeah. Exactly. But then what we find is that God reestablishes that dream, but that dream is now more in line with redemptive purposes. 
to bless other people. And so I would encourage you, if you're experiencing whatever the loss is, whatever it feels like the death of that dream may be, now start looking for the way God wants to invite you into redemptive purposes to bless other people with that's good. Perhaps a different form of that dream. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And perhaps the dream is still something that God has planted in you. Yes. But, you know, somehow sin or right. exper- uh, circumstances, you've made it about yourself or mm, we've made it about true, something yeah. it wasn't supposed to be. And perhaps the Lord is making that change or it feels like that dream is dying because, like you said, He's. He still wants to fulfill it, but in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to him and actually be better for your soul than you ever thought possible. So that's a really good perspective. Those are hard truths to hang on to. Those are really hard truths to munch on and go. But but I think that if we're all honest, anytime we experience any kind of loss, we will see what emerges from that is and what God's trying to pull out of us in that is selfish bent. Mm. You know, that's not. That's not why it happened, but we'll mm-hmm. all be, our hearts are going to be revealed to, man, how can I form my, make my heart more malleable and humble to align with God's purposes and not my own yeah. in this whole. And don't you sometimes th- think, Davey, I mean, some dreams obviously are just devastating and there's yeah. no way to really find the like silver lining. But I do think some dreams that die for a season, when you look back and you go, oh man, if the Lord would have let me have that or That's do so that true. or experience that then, oh, I would have made a mess of it. That, that so timing true. would not have been right. And you can see the Lord's just kind yeah. wisdom in the timing of it too. Yeah, that's so good. Well, we talk about this and so much more in this conversation with Sam, Sam and Sarah Ward. And um, so I would encourage you to lean in. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. Sam, Sarah, so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having us, Yeah, it's good to be here. Well, you guys are not too far from us, and normally I would have had you drive, but at the time of recording this, we are all having to be social distance right now and all having to figure out how to do this thing virtually via Zoom, and so you're joining us on Zoom uh, from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Only about an hour away. So, so fellow Hoosier, tell us a little bit before we die, because your story is, it is a, it's an, it's a powerful one um, and it is heart wrenching. And um, when I saw, when it kind of came across our team's desk, we were like, wow, this is, man, there's so much that we could uncover here. And I'm excited to hear about how God has moved in your life through this. But first, I just want to hear a little bit about your family right now. What is, what is uh, the present day Ward family look like? Well, we have been married for over 20 years, and we have three children who came to us through adoption, a 14-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son, and then our son Silas, who is up in heaven with Jesus. And so we have had the emotional roller coaster of adoption um, and loss in our lives. And now I speak and write a lot about grief, especially Mm. for women who have lost children. And Sam, if you want to share what you do. You minister too. Yeah. Uh, just to take you back a little bit, I'm a cultured hick from the hills of Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. And yeah. So I uh, started singing in church, was doing theater with a children's theater in a barn in the hills of Pennsylvania. Long story short, end up here in Indiana, meet Sarah in college, and the rest is history. 
Wow. Where'd you go so through college? We were graduates of Huntington University. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had a buddy who played baseball there um, a while back. Would have been in like 2000, probably 2005, six, something like that. So yeah, I'm not sure awesome. when you guys graduated, but I always wondered because we grew up in Alabama and he was going to Huntington. I was like, why are you going to Indiana to play <laughs> baseball? Right? Like, <laughs> I went to Indiana to do theater, so I got the same question. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I'm really, um, I, I'm excited to kind of dive into your story. And so I'd love for you to just take us back to, um, you know, the, the kind of the beginning of where all this, you know, unfolded for you guys, especially this adoption journey, and um, just kind of unfold the story for us. And I'm sure we'll, we'll pause and sit in some moments and, um, and, and uncover some things as we go, but go ahead and take us back. I think it starts for us not long after um, I graduated and then was working at Huntington. And so Sarah and I ended up as chaperones on this mission trip to Haiti. And Mm. while we were down there, we're with a group of students and we ended up going to this orphanage and we walked in and there are kids lying on the floor and they didn't even know how to play basic games like peekaboo or things like that. And both Sarah and I, like our hearts were just gripped. Sarah wanted to bring home three or four in the suitcase. And something shifted in us at that point in time. And we knew that somehow adoption would be part of our journey. Um, We didn't realize exactly how it would play out. Um, And that was years later, we uh, went through a whole infertility journey. That's a whole nother story. Mm. And then ended up in the adoption process. And we were planning on adopting from South Korea. Okay. At that time, though, um, we had started the program and thought everything was going really smoothly uh, when Sam started having some health problems. And Mm -hmm. it was just what we thought was common back pain. He was uh, 30 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. The doctor thought the same thing, but it just kept getting worse. And eventually, doctor told him, I can't manage your pain. You need to go to the ER. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was at the ER that he was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a shock to us, of course, because we were not prepared that it was going to be that significant of a diagnosis. And at that time, then it put our adoption in jeopardy. And so Mm -hmm. we told our adoption agency, we said, look, we want to go forward with this adoption. And we were just about ready to receive a picture of our child from Korea. And Mm -hmm. we were waiting. Back then it was snail mail. And we were waiting on the snail mail to get here to America to find out who our child would be. And we had to tell them this news. And they said, "We're, we're really sorry, but you can't go forward. Um, with your adoption at this time. We just have to put things on hold until your husband gets through cancer. And I was just devastated because at that point in my life, it felt like I was losing my husband. It felt like I was losing this dream of a child that I had imagined. And I just felt a lot like Job, (laughs) as as you know how that feels. And I I didn't know where God was leading us, but it, it turns out God wanted us on the adoption path, but at a different time and in a different program. And so Mm. Sam went through his cancer treatments, his surgeries, all of that. And when he was given kind of the thumbs up that he was in remission, we went back to the adoption agency and they said, look, South Korea isn't going to let a cancer survivor enter the program. There's just some rules and regulations they have. But they said, we really need parents in our domestic or U.S. adoption program. Would you consider adopting a baby from the U.S. And we were like, well, of course we would. Mm. We just thought God was leading us 
internationally, and it turns out he wasn't. And we were matched with a child within months uh, after that, and then our daughter was born. And so we realized that this path of cancer was what led us to our daughter because the timing was so different than we had originally anticipated with our adoption. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We couldn't have anticipated it at all. But one of my favorite moments is there was actually an overlap with the adoption and my final treatment. So my final surgery um, was fairly extensive, happened in Indianapolis. And I have Mm -hmm. these distinct memories of laying in bed after surgery and I couldn't pick up a gallon of milk, but Sarah could bring our little girl and she could lie next to me in bed. And it was just a beautiful redemptive moment to see how God had brought us through this year-long yeah. journey that was so hard, and here was our daughter, and wow. it was a really special wow. moment. So, can can you guys explain for maybe folks who are not familiar with the adoption process? Uh, and this may seem really obvious, but you know, for those who might be confused, why is it that uh, that the cancer diagnosis and a, quote unquote a cancer patient would stop the process of adoption? Well, it really depends on the country and how they feel about it, but they want to provide healthy parents for their children, and that's Mm. understandable. And so a lot of international countries just are, I don't know, uncomfortable um, with the idea of letting a cancer survivor into their adoption program. And some of that has maybe changed since we adopted our first daughter. But at that point in time, which was 14 years ago, it was just most of the international programs just said no. Um, Not to get in the weeds, the actual, what they actually told us was that we could re-enter the program after I had been in remission for five years or more. Good point. So it's not that they would eliminate all cancer patients. They just, to Sarah's point, they wanted to make sure that this was going to be a healthy situation for any young child who was being placed in our family. And so just looking at numbers, they said five years and we just didn't want to wait. It was going to be, we'd already been in the infertility process. We didn't want to wait another five years after waiting for so long. Yeah. Sarah, I want to pause for just a little bit too. And, and kind of, you mentioned this and you, uh, um, just this, this grief journey that you were on, even at this point in your story. You know, earlier you talked about you share a lot about grief, and we're going to talk some more about some grief that you guys have um, that you guys have ha- had to wade through. But at this point, this is a this is a different type of grief. You know, this is a an expectation that you were you know you were going through this adoption process that you were going to be matched with somebody. It was all right there in front of you after having already experienced you know an infertility journey, and so the disappointment of that, and layered on top of it, you know, the news of of your husband's cancer and all the, 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 the places of just, just the being in the unknown of that. I mean, of cancer in general, can you just speak a little bit to the nuance of, of that type of grief that you were experiencing? This like, Oh, here we're going to get placed and now we're not. And now it looks like our adoption journey is going to be put on hold indefinitely. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Just speak to that a little bit. What, what was going on with you? Well, I didn't realize at that time that it was a form of grief. Now I look back and I see that so clearly that the death of a dream is grief and that people experience this in many areas of their life. And if you go through infertility and you're struggling with this idea that you will carry a child and that they will look like you, you kind of, there's a death of that dream that you have to learn to deal with, that you have to mourn that you have to work through. And I didn't realize how hard that was going to be for me. And once I got through that, then to face this idea that we might not get to adopt, I really struggled with that. I really wrestled 
with God in that season of saying, why did you lead us to this point only to Mm. take it away? And I think, honestly, it was a moment of testing of my faith to see, am I going to follow God no matter what? Or or am I going to say, no, I can't take this? And I felt like it was one of those tests for Mm. me personally. And I had to Mm. give up the dream. I had to say, God's plan, He is sovereign over this situation, and He's leading us toward hope. And that was hard. That was a hard process. And I think Sam went through it, too, um, in a different way. Mm. Yeah, it was very hard um, because it was something both of us had really wanted. And again, like Sarah said, I don't think we were able to identify it at the time. Um, But most people who come to adoption have to realize that it's plan B for most of us. Mm. Um, But if you enter into it and see God's guiding hand in that, it is a beautiful plan B. And so our family is nothing like we (laughs) planned. Um, But yeah, it's amazing what God has done. I'm interrupting this interview to tell you who our guest is for our October bonus episode. And I just so happen to have her here with me in the studio. Hey, friends. It's Christy Blackburn. Oh, I'm so excited about this. My beautiful wife is joining me to talk about what she has learned about wellness and holistic healing. Yeah, so I'm super excited to be on this month's bonus podcast. And basically, my biggest thing is teaching people and empowering them to take their health back. Yeah. So I feel like so many times we just do the social norm, we go into this mental health issues, we are overweight or obese, we're upset about it, and I, I'm giving you tactical ways to mm-hmm. tackle that. That's right. And to apply it to your lives and make it simple for you. That's so good. That's so good. I know you've taught me a ton about how to integrate our mind, our body, our soul, and use all of that, our entire being, to walk into healing, walk into wholeness. And so I'm so excited about this. And we know that you as a listener already love hearing from Christy because episode 61 and episodes 100 are both some of our highest listened to episodes. Everybody wants to hear from you, babe. Oh, stop, stop. <laughs> so if you want to hear more from her on this bonus episode, head to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to sign up and make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more to access this bonus episode. If you are hesitant about committing to $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content that we have under our partner program. And the added bonus is that you are partnering with us in this. This is tax-deductible, so you're partnering with us to continue to help other people as they're navigating their valley. I agree. And again, that is nothingiswasted.com slash partners. And here's a little preview of my conversation with Davey now. When my daughter turned 18 months old, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder. And then that's when everything changed. I started researching like crazy. And I found out since she was diagnosed before the age of two with an autoimmune disorder, she had an 80% chance of getting another autoimmune disorder down the road in her Mm. lifetime sometime and probably something more severe. And so here I am thinking, I mean, there's no cures for this. Like, what do I do? So I started researching like crazy. And that is what set my journey of understanding holistic health, understanding that food is medicine and understanding it's not about weight loss. It's about actually, it's not even about what you look like. So people are always like, I just want to look good. But honestly, it's about feeling good and eating for our health. 
did you guys have like, you know, and I, I, I just want to sit here for a second because I just, I feel like these kinds of things come up a lot. I feel like you, you guys could really speak into this, but did you guys have one of those, you know, Sarah, you just said that I had to come to a place where I just gave up the dream, just put it back in God's hands. Was that like a moment? Was that like a, this major breakthrough moment or was it like a scattered over a series of several moments? What was that experience like for you guys? It was definitely scattered over several moments where I just had to keep coming back to Scripture, remembering who God is and His promises to me and that He's faithful and true. And I remember at one point in the cancer journey, I started putting up around my house different Bible verses that I was reading that spoke to who God was and that He would not leave me nor forsake me in that Mm. situation we were in. And I had to put it up next to my bathroom sink, and I had to put it up next to the sink of the kitchen because I needed to remind myself of these things. And so I feel like it was a process for me over Mm. through His whole treatment of just trusting God with the outcome and understanding that he would work out his good and perfect will in our life. And it was painful and it was not easy. And I grieved a lot, but he brought us to a different place. And only in hindsight can I see that now with our family and how it's come together. And each of our three adoptions have had their major bumps in the road. (laughs) And, but I see now God's grace and his mercy with our Mm. family. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you were placed in with this, the first child, uh, I mean, what a what a powerful you you said it, Sam. What a powerful, beautiful overlap. This part of the redemption story that God's writing here, where you're holding her, you know, right after having your last surgery. Um, so, uh, and it was a daughter. What what's her name? Her name is Eliana. It Eliana. means God has answered our prayers. Wow, wow. Okay, so now kind of walk me through the next phase of the journey. Well. After we got through that, I thought, mistakenly, I believed that there would not be any more grief in my life for quite a long time. Because I think Mm. a lot of times as believers, we think, okay, I went through this hard thing. I paid my dues. I should not suffer for a long time. And about four years later, we decided to adopt again. And we were excited about that. And the process went really smoothly. We brought home our little boy, Silas, from the hospital. And we thought, this is great. We can move on in our lives. And at about when he was about six months old, we took him in for a checkup at the doctor's office. And he was just a little bit behind developmentally. And Mm -hmm. the doctor said, hey, just keep working with him. He's probably just, you know, a little bit slower than some other babies, but we see a wide range of normal and it's okay. And we'll check him again at his nine-month checkup. And we worked with him and worked with him. And the next three months, he made no progress. And at his mm-hmm. nine-month checkup, I brought him back in. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, we're really going to have to maybe run some tests on him because he's not making the progress. And it was at that point, I realized something was wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what it was, but I thought, there's something not right here. And the doctor said, I think it's something minor. Don't worry yourself, but let's go get an MRI. And so my nine-month-old son got an MRI. And a few hours after the MRI, we got a phone call. And I knew that doctors never call quickly when the news is good. 
um, mm. typically. They only call quickly when the news is bad. I had learned that from our cancer situation. Mm. And so as soon as I heard her voice on the line, I thought, this, this cannot be good news. And she said, I just got the MRI report back, and your son has a disease called Lay's disease. And I said, well, what's Lay's disease? And she goes, I don't know. And she was a pediatrician. She had never seen it before. Most pediatricians have not. It's so rare. It's a genetic disease. Um, so immediately after the phone call, she was going to do some work on on finding out more. I looked up looked it up on Google, which is, of course, always a mistake because mm, yeah. Google tells you the worst, right? right. Um, but I couldn't help myself. I was a mother. And so I looked it up and what I saw just broke my heart. I learned that it was... Um, it, it was a terminal disease, that there was no cure, um, nothing they could do, and that he would only live for two to three years. So mm. I, I was broken. I was shattered at that point. And um, after that, we started going seeing specialists at Riley Children's Hospital mm. in Indy. There wasn't much they could do for him. He started having seizures and regressing in everything that he had learned up until that point. Um, and so we had to take care of a very sick little boy with the wow. knowledge that that he was going to die. And wow. again, I think we wrestled with that question of, Lord, why would you give us a child only to yeah. have this child die? How do we get through this? Why did you, why? I, I don't know that um, we came to any conclusive answers other than it was a great privilege and joy to care for this little boy and the joy he brought to our life. Um, but it was hard. It was really hard. Like Sarah said, it's essentially for us, it was a degenerative situation. So at the time of his diagnosis, he was sitting up, he was playing with toys. He had just started saying his first words. And over the course of, you know, up, he died before his third birthday. Mm. So he lost basically everything and was wheelchair bound and was fed through an, a tube in his stomach um, and even lost his ability to, to smile. Mm -hmm. And so it was a process of just losing little, yeah. little pieces along the way. And yeah, it was, it was a really, really hard road. And it was just day after day feeling like your heart was broken mm. um, and going through treatments that n didn't seem to change the situation. And mm. yeah, we, I don't know if we've come to some great, mm. great lesson that we've learned, except that um, we live in a broken world. Mm -hmm. And again, adoption is a way for us to step into that brokenness mm. and to provide a family. And we didn't want to do it. We didn't sign up for this, but God chose us to step mm. into this little boy's life. And for a little under three years, we got to be his mommy and his daddy. Wow. And it was one of the greatest privileges. Wow. You know, um, our family has never officially adopted anyone. However, with blending a family, we do feel like there's been a, 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 a sense of adoption that we have yeah. kind of each felt of this, you know, Christy taking on Weston as as his mom and, and, you know, although Natalia's dad is also, um, still very involved and very loving and, and, and in the picture, you know, me assuming a fatherly role in that. And so the things that we both have discovered is that, um, and, and I, I would love for you guys to speak to this because you guys have actually gone through the adoption process, but that there is a level of effort still that has to take place when you are assuming a role in someone's life and, and adopting mm -hmm. someone. 
And that may or may not be the case for everyone. It may be very natural for some people to just like, wow, I feel like that they are, you know, blood related to me now because it's just this, and that's fantastic if, if that's the case for some people. I'm not, I'm curious as to how that was for you, but I'm also curious as to the roller coaster of your emotions. If you did have to, if there is that kind of like additional effort that you guys feel of going, hey, you know, like, we're assuming the role of parent for this little one and then now looking at at giving him up back to the father can you can you talk to me about that a little bit and i might be project but as i'm listening to it i'm going man i might that's probably where i would be is going like man god like like i this was I, like I put in a, so much effort to like bring this child into my home and now I'm, now I'm giving him back to you. Like what, what what's going on? What, speak, speak to that a little bit if, if you guys have any insight into it. Well, one thing we like to say is that just to each other is that adoption is a journey. It's not an event. Hmm. So in the same way that you That's have a great. wedding, it's not about the wedding, really. That's just the beginning of this journey two people have together. And mm. adoption is the same thing. You go through a finalization where you go into a courtroom and a judge hits the gavel and says, this is your child now. You officially changed the last name on the birth certificate and it's legal. But that's just the beginning. And so whatever the situation mm. is, whether it's adoption or like you said, a blended family, I think it's helpful to realize that it's a journey that you're on. It's not a one-time event. Mm. Um that's great. And, wow. Yeah. So I think that helps to give you perspective. As far as the other part of your question, as far as giving up, Silas, um, again, I don't know if I ha- I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> I don't know if I have any great okay. lessons that we've yeah, learned, no. except that it was hard to realize that as a parent, our role is to work ourselves out of a job Mm. and to prepare our children for whatever God has for them to the best that we can. Wow. And for us, we only got a little under three years with this little boy, but it was the same thing. I mean, our job was to take care of him the best we could and to find joy in that journey for us and for him too. Mm. Like how could we, that was one thing that we had challenges with all the way through, but Sarah was so good at trying to find those family moments where we could find joy um, for something that Eliana could do and Silas could do and we could all enter into Mm. and find those moments of of joy and of fun and of being a family together when we're up against what seemed like the impossible. Wow. I don't know if that's helpful. No, that's fantastic. I mean, I love what you said there. It's our job to to work ourselves out of a job. So regardless of whether it's 18 years in our house or whether it's two or three years, you know, because the reality is, is that our, our kids really are not our own. Yes. You know, right. I think we see this in the, the, uh, a lesson that we can take from the story of Hannah and Samuel, mm-hmm. right. Which I'm sure is something that's been a profound, you know, story for you guys, just this longing to have a child, longing to have a child and, and kind of working this deal out with God, so to speak, of saying, hey, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. But, you know, I'll never forget uh, sometime in the last year of Amanda's life, as as we were beginning to raise Weston, she was profoundly impacted by that story and had this sense that she was going to be giving Weston up. 
Mm-hmm. Like had this weird sense, like, why is this burdening me so much? This like, and so she thought, and she would tell me this. She was like, I think it's just God reminding me that, you know, exactly what you just said, Sam, like we're, our job as parents is to prepare them to like, you know, send them out, you know, let them be arrows. And that's kind of how she justified it. But now on this side of things, we see it and we go, wow, the, like God was in his kindness was preparing her heart for that actual departure there um and that she that he would be raised by somebody else um Mm -hmm. and so i just think that's a really important point across the board whether it's blood related child or adopted child or foster parent or whatever it's like we're stewards Mm yes of this and that helps us to keep things in, in an open palm too to go hey god whatever comes into my hand i'm a steward it really 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 well even if that means the relationships and the people that you bring into my life absolutely can you guys talk talk a little bit about just this the struggle of like kind of faith crisis that maybe you guys had as you were watching this little, this little baby's condition deteriorate in front of you consistently. I think about, we've got a right now at the time of recording a five month old. And I, I think about like, what if he were to have a seizure? You know, you hear this a lot. What if he were to begin to what talk to me about that journey as you guys are kind of watching this, baby's condition deteriorate and what, how that made you guys feel and how you felt about God in that situation. I remember at one point thinking to myself that I was so ill-equipped to take care of a child with these mm. kinds of special needs and kept thinking, someone else would be so much more qualified to do this, God. Why did you choose us? We have like no medical experience. I know nothing about taking care of a child like this. And yet God continued to show up in just huge ways in providing for our needs. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point I was so exhausted. I love taking care of my son, but he was often up at night because of some of his um, seizure issues and being fed through a G-tube. And I was tired and we hadn't, unfortunately, we had been on a waiting list for a nurse to come into our home Mm -hmm. to help out. But then I had received a phone call and they had said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait longer. This isn't going to work out right now. And I was just so upset over not having extra help. And I remember crying out to God, God, I need help. Mm-hmm. I love taking care of my son, but I'm exhausted. And yeah. I just need someone to come in the home. And I remember very shortly after that, Sam came home from church because he's worship pastor at our church. And um, he said, hey, I wanted to let you know this, this lady from church came up to me and she said that she had woken up in the middle of the night yeah. and we were on her heart and mind. And so she started to pray and she prayed and she got done and she thought, okay, I prayed for them. I can go back to sleep. And she felt like God wasn't done, that he was Mm. nudging her to step forward in faith and say that she was willing to help us. However, and she says to Sam, I would love to come into your home and maybe give your wife a break once a week and help with your son. I don't know anything about taking care of your son, but I'm willing to learn. Do you Mm. think that your wife would need any help with your son? And Sam was like, yes. (laughs) And he came home and told me this. And I was like, God just provided for our needs. I I couldn't have a nurse in my home. And I thought, how am I going to handle everything? I love my son. I care for him, but I have to get sleep sometimes. And 
God provided. And he continued to show us that he cared for us and he would bring us everything we needed to care for this little boy. And he did always. Wow. And that's just one example because it was, it was what, a week or two later, another couple had the same exact experience, praying Mm -hmm. and felt God's spirit was pushing them in this direction and saying, we don't know what you need, but we think it has something to do with helping you take care of your son so you get a break. And so then we had two couples who were tag teaming. We had other women at church um, because um, it was hard to go to church and Mm -hmm. he was immune compromised. We all understand that Mm -hmm. in this time that we're living and he was very much immune compromised. And so women, we called them Team Silas. Um, Hmm. Sarah would take Silas into my office and these women would just show up watch him for that hour so she could go to church and were trained on what he needed. And we had people over and over and over again who would show up. And so, I mean, it was a a roller coaster ride the whole way of just being Mm -hmm. broken and then seeing God provide and saying, you don't have what you need, but Mm -hmm. I will provide that just the time that you need it. And just happened over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. And I think we just learned, we learned how desperate and helpless we really are. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a story, um, again, he had uh, ongoing seizure activity. And so we were going through this treatment where he had to have daily injections in his thigh. Mm-hmm. And it was just brutal having to be the ones to give him the injection. Yeah. And so as a family, every day we would gather around him and we'd say, okay, buddy, we love you. And we'd sing Jesus loves me as a family mm-hmm. as we gave him that injection. And he'd scream and cry and we'd hug him and tell him how much we love him. And it was just this constant up and down of being broken and then seeing God provide what we need. Mm. Um, And it was, it was hard, but we have, now we're able to look back and see some of the sweetness in the journey. It was just Mm. so hard and bitter and raw at the time. We couldn't see past the day that we were living, but now we can look back and we can see his hand and see those sweet moments and really appreciate how much he was holding us in that time. Wow. Wow. You know, as you're saying that, Sam, like, I, I just wonder, I mean, sure, you guys, I know you guys have seen this, some of the spiritual parallels in this, but like, I wonder how many times God has to, like, his, he's hurting so much as he's holding us down, needing to give us an injection, so to speak, mm-hmm. and like, declaring over us, I love you so much, but like, I have to administer this pain in your life right now for your good. And that's a you have gotten a real insight into that. Mm-hmm. You've gotten a real insight into like the complex um, nature and character of who God is and how sometimes he loves us and lovingly allows some of these things to come into our life for, for our good. Yeah. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the story of Joseph, right? You and yeah. this was intended for evil, but God intended this for good. And wow. yeah, we saw that over and over. Wow. Wow. Um, speak a little bit to, I love the fact that you guys had some people step up in your church, especially the way that the Holy Spirit moved and directed that, right? But I'm sure that there's somebody who's listening, they're a kids ministry volunteer at their church. They're a, uh, you know, maybe even a special needs volunteer at their church, or they, they just feel like they don't necessarily have a role to play in ministry, um, because they're, they're, they don't see themselves on some big platform or with a microphone in front of their face or they're, you know, they're like, what is this do? What good is this doing that I'm holding this baby? Can you speak to how impactful it was? Cause I hear it all over your voice. It's like, mm. encourage that person that right now is like, am I really like making a difference right now by doing this small thing, the small act of service for this family? Oh. 
Absolutely. It was the greatest gift for us to have people step up and do what probably for them was a very small thing, but for us was huge. Things Mm -hmm. like, let me bring you a meal. Let me drop off groceries. Let me take your older daughter so that she can get out and have some fun. Let me help you in this way, or let me help with Silas so you can go to church. Those were huge gifts to our family. Mm. And I believe that's what Christ really calls us to do, those things. Instead of being in front of a big crowd, I think he's calling us to serve in those small ways. And the amazing part is that I feel like almost all those people stepped up and did it without us even saying a word. We didn't have to say, hey, will someone help us? When that lady came up to Sam and said she was willing to help, I had not told anyone that I was really tired and needed more help at home. Mm. I had only told Sam that, but no one else because I didn't, I don't know, I just wasn't comfortable, I guess, sharing that with other people. I didn't want to make people feel guilty. Um, But she knew, and so she just stepped up, and I'd say, be aware of those nudges from God when you feel like, maybe God's leading me to help this family Mm -hmm. out down the street. Maybe they could use some groceries, and I'm already headed to the grocery store. Um, That is a way to serve and make a huge impact on a family and do ministry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so big. Um, You guys then, I mean, now stepped into a brand new journey of grief. Um, you know, you lost, lost Silas and tell, tell me then a little bit about the kind of the aftermath of that as you guys were, you know, recovering and picking up the pieces, um, once he passed away. Well, he lived until about the age of three, but we had no idea that he was going, even though we knew that it was a terminal disease, we had no idea that he was going to pass away. Um, he got, sick with just a common ear infection and that weakened his body and his Lay's disease enough that um, his little body just gave up. And so we were, even though we knew this was coming, it was still devastating. And so even though there was anticipatory grief, we didn't know when it was going to happen. And so we found ourselves grieving um, in that place of grief and loss. And at first, Um, the rawness of it, we knew we needed to find a place that we could share that grief. And so we started to go to a grief center um, and joined a grief group, which was hugely helpful Mm -hmm. for us. I know it's not for everyone, but to be around other people who understood the emotions and what it's like every day when you don't want to get out of bed and Mm -hmm. when you don't want to face the day and you don't want to face the memories of your child, these people understood that, and it was a safe place to share um, for us, as well as many, we had many church friends and family who understood as well. And at that point in time, I started journaling heavily. Mm. Um, I have always been a writer, but I, I this was my private journal, and I really started to pour that grief out into the pages of the journal. And I remember at some point, I started writing that I, I didn't, I wanted to go through the grief. I wanted to experience that and ex- get to the healing part, but mm, I didn't want to yeah. waste the pain. I didn't want to make mm. Silas's life be a waste. And so I wanted to know what God was going to teach me and started writing about the gifts that he gives us in the midst of brokenness mm. and looking for those gifts, those things that he brings to us, even when we're in pain and when we're in grief. And wow. it's not that 
death is a gift. It's not. It's part of the brokenness of this world. Mm. But I think he still has good gifts for us, even when we're going through grief. And so I started realizing that there was um, the gift of trust, that he was still trustworthy, even in the midst mm. of pain, and that there was still there was still joy. We could still find joy and laughter in our family, even though our hearts were broken. And you think, how can those two things coexist? But mm. somehow they do. And I started journaling about each of these gifts of brokenness. Um, and that eventually became my book after mm. many years. But um, it started all with me observing life and saying, I don't want this pain to be wasted. Wow. What about what about for you, Sam? How was that grief journey? What did that look like, especially in the, the aftermath? Anything that you would add to that? What yeah, Sarah said? I agree with what Sarah said. I think she said it very well. I Just reflecting on grief and the way that you react to it, I remember that when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was really angry. Mm. Like I was, man, God and I had some words. I was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was just yeah. so angry about it. And I think right. part of it was that I thought I was working in ministry. This is not the way the story should go. Yeah. When my son was diagnosed, I wasn't angry. I remember just a profound sadness. Hmm. And then when we lost him, um, just feeling like it was a hole that just opened up underneath us and we just kept falling and falling and falling. And I mean, at that point, and we now looking back, I know that this is normal for people going through grief, but it felt like it would never end. Mm-hmm. And it colored everything that yeah. we touched, everything that we saw, everything that we tasted, every relationship. It all came back to that that grief yeah. that was that we felt like we were drowning in. Um, but you, like Sarah said, um, you put your pants on one leg at a time, mm. and then we had a church community. That, again, just came around us. And I, just as a side note, um, Sarah said this before, but um, I've been at the same church since 2000. Mm. And that doesn't happen in the church world. No. <laughs> but I think, I think a big reason for it is because of these crises we've had and the way that our church has surrounded mm. us. And so it's become a community for us. It's become a family for us, not just a job or a church wow. that we associate with. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it was a journey, but... People came around us, and um, over time, you start to see the beauty again and the gifts in the middle of the pain. Hey, I'm interrupting this interview because I have a special friend with me. I brought him on the podcast because this past week has been an exciting week for them. His name is Chris Dew. You know him really well. He was on episode 30 of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast and our July bonus episode talking about his story, battle with recovering addiction, and now he's released a book called The Real Answer to Addiction. Exciting week for you, Chris. I'm so proud of you, man. Man, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on here again, bro. Well, man, I would love, we've got so many people that this book is going to be so helpful for. It's going to be a great resource. We're we're always trying to help people with resources that can help them as as they live, learn, and lead through pain. And this is going to be one of those. What is your hope for this book? Absolutely, bro. The hope of this book, man, is that would give uh, help um, and also hope uh, to people that are looking for freedom from addiction. Mm. Um, and that's not just people that are personally struggling with addiction, all kinds of addiction, uh, but it's also people that have friends or loved ones who are struggling with addiction. And my hope is that people would read this book um, and really 
find true freedom for the first time in their lives. Wow. Wow. Well, I know that that's going to take place because you guys have been doing some incredible ministry, and this book is just an extension of that. You've seen so many people find freedom and break the strongholds that have gripped their life. I'm excited for this book to be out. Finally, this is long awaited. And if you're listening to this, you've got to go pick up The Real Answer to Addiction. You can get it on Amazon, and you can just go to chrisdoministries.com, chrisdoministries.com. You can pick it up there. Chris, pumped for you, bro. Man, I appreciate it. Thanks again, bro. You know, you said something that I think was really intriguing because I think a lot of people would say, yeah, God meets us in our sadness. You know, scripture says that he is near to the brokenhearted, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, he is the great comforter. But I, I'm curious, Sam, as to your experience, um, did God meet you in your anger? And how, what did that look like? <laughs> yeah, he did meet me in my anger. And I spent a lot of time with David, Job, um, yeah. and I started to realize, especially uh, in the Psalms, those mm. imprecatory cursing Psalms suddenly mm. made a lot more sense. And my prayers became a lot more violent in a good yeah. way, um, in that I started to pray violently against Lay's disease. I started to pray mm. violently against the curse and what Satan was doing in the world. Yeah. And I would start to pray that God would kick the teeth mm-hmm. out of this disease that had my son. And then as mm-hmm. he died and I was so broken, I just would pray, God, please just destroy this sin that is killing us. It's literally killing us. It's killing your children. I got cancer. My son died. Like this goes back to the curse, right? Mm -hmm. The fine print is that if you eat this and you walk away from God, this forbidden fruit, you will get cancer and your son will Mm -hmm. die. And so I was feeling that so deeply and just so angry about the whole thing. And yeah, I really felt that God met me there. And instead of saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. He was saying, no, again, like you said, in the same way that he's broken and he meets yeah. us in our pain. He met me in that anger, and I realized I think he is just as angry about the state of the world and cancer yeah. and Lay's disease and children suffering as yeah. I am, if not more so. That's great. Yeah, I believe it one hundred percent. You know that he that he has a, a that a one you know all encompassing righteous anger against the sin of this world, and the only reason he's holding back making and setting it right is for the chance that someone else might come to repentance, mm. you know, because at some point there's going to be a time where it's just, they're okay. Like God's wrath is going to completely eliminate all of the sin curse in this world. And, yes. you know, then we'll get to live and reign with him forever. That's mm. fantastic. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more yeah. pain, no more death. Right. And the only reason that hasn't happened now is because God wants for one more person to yeah. come to repentance. He's not slow in keeping his promises as some consider slowness, right? But yeah, he right wants for all to come to repentance. Yes. And um, so, uh, yeah. Wow. You guys then went into the adoption journey again, right? <laughs> we did. This is when I read part of your story, I'm like, okay, wow. Like what 
after going through all of that would then um, compel you to potentially open yourself up to grief and brokenness. And, you know, I mean, there's so many unknown factors that as you guys discovered with the adoption process, there's so many unknown factors with just bringing a baby into the world, of course. Right. But, mm-hmm. but especially, you know, not knowing the genetic history of, and all of those different, right. Practical factors that, that everybody begins to check off their list. What compelled you guys to step back into it? Talk to me about that. Well, for a long time, we were not even open to having the conversation. I do want to say that first because— Well, it started with Eliana. Our daughter wanted to have that conversation. She said, wow. let's adopt again. And this was, what, a month, it two months? It was like very— After Silas died? Yeah, a very short time wow. after yeah. he passed away. And Don't you said, love the simplicity of yes. of kids' minds? I mean, it's like yes. the childlike faith, right? It's just like— right. Why would we not? You know, like exactly. (laughs) Like this would bring us such joy. Why wouldn't we do this again? And I said, honey, we're just not ready. And she was only like seven or eight at the time. So she was very young, didn't understand this. And I just kept putting her off and putting her off and saying, I'm not ready to talk about this. I just, I have to grieve first because that was right for me. Everybody takes a different path, but I needed to grieve his loss before we moved on. And honestly, I wasn't sure if I could risk my heart again. Mm. That was a big Mm. thing for me. I just was so afraid of a broken heart. And what if things didn't go well? And one day, um, my daughter, my daughter's African-American. She was getting her hair done at an African-American salon. And I was sitting there and there were some magazines laying out and I was just flipping through one, a glossy um, magazine. And there was an interview with a, with a TV star. um, And it was asking the TV star, are you going to have more children? You know how these magazines are. They like <laughs> dive into people's personal lives right. when they shouldn't. And she said, well, we're, we're considering it and I'm not sure, but I went to one of my mentors and I asked them, like, how do you make this decision whether to expand your family or not? And this older lady told me, think about who you want around your Thanksgiving dinner table when you're 70. Mm. Don't make the decision based on how you feel about so it good. right now, yeah. like the tiredness of having a baby or just the obstacle, like how busy you are. She said, don't think of that. Think about who you went around your dinner table. Mm. And I took that one sentence and I went home and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I kept thinking, do I want more people around my dinner table someday? Do I do I want to expand my table? <laughs> and... um. My heart started leaning that direction, but I was so afraid to tell Sam. And I just did not want to say anything because I thought, as soon as I say something, he's going to feel like, okay, we have to do this. And so I didn't say anything. And then one day we were out on a date and he asks me, we're sitting in this restaurant. He's like, have you thought any more about adoption? And Mm. I told him, well, yes, I have. And here's what I've been thinking. And he said, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I was thinking the same thing. And we realized at that point in time, we were having the same thought process. Like we wanted to move forward, but we were scared for the other person's heart. And so we decided at that point to move forward. Um, But even though we went on the adoption journey again, this last adoption was the one with three adoption failures before Mm. the fourth time it finally went through. And we did not experience that with our first two. And that's Mm. why every adoption experience is so different. The path, the journey. Um, but God was once again leading us to our son, um, and he's three now. And it, it's a beautiful mm. story, but we had to go over some more bumps in the road to yeah. get there. 
Yeah, which again is just a beautiful redemptive picture mm, wow. because Zion is just turned three and mm. our son Silas died right before his third birthday. Yeah, Zion is so full of life and he's doing all of the things that Silas could never do. Mm. And so there again is some, there is a little bit of yeah. loss in there when we see him do those things. Yeah. But we're seeing God's faithfulness and yeah. he does, he brings us such joy mm. and our whole family for Eliana too. I mean, it's just, he has been the miss, a missing piece. Um, mm. But yeah, we were, we were, we were really scared in those three failed adoptions. Everyone just felt like another knife in the heart saying, God, what are you thinking? God, what's going wow. on here? Um, but now we can look back and see Zion was the one we were waiting for. Mm. And yeah. we just had to wait. And here we are. Well, I imagine you probably started reeling with, okay, God, do you not want us to do this? Like, is that? Yes. Like, are you are you putting the, the closed door on this one? Sarah said that. I did. Mm. And at, said that. <laughs> when it was our fourth try, I was like, if this one doesn't go through, I think we can't go on anymore in this process. Mm. And yeah. it was the fourth adoption that finally went through. Wow. Wow. Man. I love it. Well, I love it and I don't like it. And I'll tell you why I don't like it here in a second. I love the fact that, you know, this question that I love the question you asked yourself, like, wh who, who do I want around my table? You know, this question that was posed in this, you know, random article, who do I want around my table uh, at 70 years old th at Thanksgiving? And I love that question because it is, it gives, it puts the long game in perspective and it's a very, um, it's a very sobering question. It's like, Hmm. You know, you think about uh, that, that keeping the end in mind and instead of the the here and now and the present, which so many times can bog us down and, and skew our perspective. I don't like that question because I don't want my wife to hear you ask that question. <laughs> and she she listens to every episode. And so I know now, inevitably, as we are just now emerging from newborn stage, she's going to hear that question and uh, it might change the shape of the Blackburn family. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it, what a great question, though. I just, I, I mean, I think it's so powerful. It's so scriptural, too, this idea of expanding your family. I mean, I think yeah. about when I think of the the the, the doctrine of the, of uh, adoption, just the from a theological standpoint, what God did for us, you see it peppered all throughout Scripture, where um, you've got you know kinsmen redeemers, you've got adoptions yes. that take place, you've got David who adopts essentially Mephibosheth and brings him to the table. He brings him to the king's table, right? Expands mm -hmm. his table, and and then what a beautiful picture of this. This is Jesus bringing us to the table when we were crippled and lame and, you know, we couldn't. And so just, I mean, it's such a, what a powerful um, metaphor and allegory that you guys have stepped into to yeah. open up an understanding of who God is that many of us don't get and how he sees us that many of us don't get because we've not experienced adoption. Right. Um, speaking of, I'd love to hear some of these these blessings, these gifts, as you call them, that have kind of come through this. I don't want you to give away your entire book, but I'd love to hear a couple of these. And then we'll just tell the listener they got to go and read your book to hear all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, when I wrote my book, honestly, I could have went on and on and filled the whole book with like, yeah. you know, 50 gifts because it's, it's not limited. God doesn't limit his gifts to us. But I stopped at 15, 15 gifts that I found in my grief. And the reason I wanted to focus on the gifts was because 
as I wrote my story, I didn't want it to be just a grief story. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave people just in the grief, although I, re- I recognize and realize that's part of life, all of our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring the hope. And so I realized that hope was a thread that was woven all the way through, through each mm-hmm. adoption, through every obstacle, through every sickness. Hope was always there, and God was always leading us to a place of of hope. And when I started diving into Scripture, I started realizing that it wasn't just about hope. It was also about His joy, finding joy in our trials. And mm-hmm. that, to me, had always been this statement of who, who can find joy in their trials? And yet, I started to understand that He does give us joy in the midst of trials. And you already said this, but I end with the gift of redemption because Mm -hmm. I believe that for every person, there's our story ends with redemption. It ends with the idea that it's not defined by the sin and the brokenness in this life, but the promise that He makes all things new, that He gives us hope and that we have a future. And that's what I wanted people to hear who are going through grief, um, especially both women and men, but especially women who've lost children and are, Mm. are facing that devastation, to hear that this isn't the end of the story and that God is writing a redemption story for them. And that's that's probably my favorite gift of the 15. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. How has this uh, journey brought you guys closer together as a married couple? Mm. And maybe how has it <laughs> how has it created some some spaces of having to work through some things? I mean, what has this been like for you guys? It's been both. Um I would say that there have been times, especially afterwards, when you're trying to pick up the pieces. Um, you're having to grieve your own loss, but then you're also trying to help your spouse grieve and sometimes not knowing how to do that. Yeah. Um, and when we went through the cancer process, the, that journey was entirely different in that um, Sarah essentially came, became my nurse. And so mm-hmm. then, like, that's a weird place to be in, to be a married couple. We have certain roles in the way that it works for us. But then Sam can't even get out of bed and go to the bathroom mm. without help. Um, wow. And then you lose a son. It's a totally different thing. So I would say every single time it's been a matter of us having to sort of figure out the dance all over again. Mm. So marriage is a mm. dance and we sort of That's knew great. how, how yeah. it works. We, these are the moves. And then a grief event happens and it just falls apart. And so we sort of have to learn how to dance again. Mm. And um, it's sometimes clunky. <laughs> we mm. step on each other's feet um, and we get angry and frustrated, but it's it's just learning new moves, learning new ways to relate to each other and to love each other. Um, and so I think we have become closer um, because instead of pushing each other away, which is something that grief can do a lot of times, it makes mm-hmm. you feel yeah. isolated like you are the only one. It's not true, but right, that's your perception. Right. And so instead of going down that path, we knew that was, that was a dead end. And mm-hmm. so every time we've learned to turn to each other in our grief mm-hmm. and as <laughs> messed up and as flawed as we are to try to help each other and to face yeah. that together. And so that has definitely brought a depth to our relationship and that we've mm-hmm. seen each other at our worst and at our lowest points. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing it alone, we've done it together as, as a couple. Wow. Um, 
I love that. that we, you, this is a, this is a dance, and you yeah. have to learn how to dance again. And every and every trial and every tragedy that you face in life, and every time you have a transition, uh, you just put words to something that I I I think I've always known intuitively, but I'd never really put words to it like that. That's really powerful to go. Oh, we're relearning how to dance in this season. And I think that would provide so many couples with uh, hope and encouragement when they find themselves in a place where they've forgotten how to dance or now it's in a, you're on a new stage. You're on a new, you're at a different ballroom right now <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you're having a, or you're trying a new dance, right? Like mm-hmm. the, it doesn't, you know, the, these dances are different, right? You, you were doing, I don't know, the cha-cha and now you're doing <laughs> something else. I clearly, I don't do ballroom dancing. So I don't know. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, it would, it, how encouraging would it be that, Hey, don't, don't give up. Just learn, lean into each other, learn how to dance in this season and in this space. That's really good. Wow. Have you guys seen it? Um, this, that you guys have walked through, maybe this is one of the gifts that you talk about, but have you seen it enhance your, your ministry to other people? I mean, obviously you guys were already in ministry, but how has that allowed you to, to minister even better? Well, when I was caring for my son during those years, I actually stopped writing. I had been writing previous to that and teaching at church and kind of stopped all those things just to care for my son. And after we went through the grief, um, the loss, and I kind of stepped back into ministry when I felt like I was ready, I realized that grieving people are looking for those who understand mm. who yeah. <laughs> they might we might not have gone through the same hurts but yep. i understand what's like to be in that dark night of the soul right. and so it's not the ministry i was looking for it's not like i said oh i want to <laughs> speak to grief that, yeah. about grief exactly. i don't want that title <laughs> i want to speak about something fun but all of a sudden yeah. i felt like i was thrust into this position where um i'd be asked to speak at different churches or speak to a group and they would be like we want to hear about your grief story and we want to have um you talk about loss and i was like mm. are you sure um and they would say yes and then people would come up to me afterwards and as you know it's it's people are looking for that connection. There's yeah. a there's a heart connection that happens when someone understands your pain. Yeah. And um, so that opened doors then to writing this book, um, Made mm. for Hope. And that's the journey that I've yeah. been on. Yeah, wow. I would say for both of us, I think it, yeah. it, instead of just doing ministry, suddenly we were identifying with people in the mm. same way that Jesus stepped into our pain and stepped into our world. Like we were able to suddenly do that. Um, right. I can go minister to a cancer patient, but when I walk into the room and say, I had cancer, they go, oh, right? Yeah, or they if lean s- in. Yeah. S- exactly, they lean in and someone who's lost a child or lost a spouse, you know, mm. if, if you have lost at that deep level, then yeah. you can walk into a situation and say, I don't understand exactly your situation, but, but I've been there. And I'm willing to just be here with you instead of having all the answers. Mm. And I think that's really helped change the way that we do ministry a little bit. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Guys, this is um, it's been awesome. I, I'm so encouraged by you. Uh, I, I took down notes just for my own personal life. This is really, really <laughs> encouraging to be able to, to chat with you guys. Um, can you, Sarah, tell us a little bit about you know, where our listeners can kind of follow you, the book, um, same for you, Sam, if you guys have any kind of websites, platforms or anything, they can hear more from, from you guys. Cause, um, 
sure there's there's other there's folks who are going to want to connect after this because we've not we've not talked about this nuance at all. So this is going to open up a whole another a uh, whole another avenue here, and, and, and I love that. But tell us where we can connect with you guys. You can find me online at sarahrward.com and follow me there. And my book's called Made for Hope, Discovering Unexpected Gifts in Brokenness. And you can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, some other places. So yeah, sarahrward.com. You know what I just thought about? I didn't even, uh, I, I didn't even think about this before, but Sarah, your name, Sarah. I'm so big into names, right? But like, think about the story of Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> Yes. I'm sure you, this is, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. My mom, cool. Don't you like, my, yeah. my mom was studying Abraham and Sarah when she was pregnant with me and decided, I love this story. I'm going to name my daughter, give her this name. And yeah, the wow. connections have um, been interesting. So. Yeah, absolutely. But that's so, what's so hopeful about that. What I love about just the intentionality of God in those things is that he's yeah. in the details of it. And he also absolutely. gives us. It's like with his word, he gives us a path to say, hey, listen, I know this is going to be really hard, but just continue to pursue after me and follow my word. And here's a path that, that's laid out in front of you. Um, you know, your story is going to be certainly different than Sarah of the Bible, but like here's some encouragement, uh, a woman that you can derive hope from. And it's your namesake. It's so cool. So Thank cool. Thank you. Thanks. Well, Sam, Sarah, it's great to chat with you guys. Thank you so much for for joining me and just an honor to to hear your story. And I know it's an, it, it already is encouraging so many people. So thank you. Thank you, Davey. Thank you, Davey. Yeah, good to be here. That was an amazing conversation with Sarah and Sam. I love their yeah. hearts. Yeah. Um, you can just... You can feel the presence of God really even in this episode as they share. So true. It gets really, me so really excited good. about the the other episodes in this adoption series. Yeah, I'm so glad we're doing this. So glad. Mm. I want to say thank you to Sleeping at Last. Thanks for letting us use yep. his music. Um, absolutely good tunes to listen to if you <laughs> ever just need to get into an emotional mood or some kind <laughs> of mood. So you can find uh, his music on wherever you listen to music. Yep. Yep. And if you would do us a favor, if this has ministered to you in any way, any of our episodes, this podcast, go and rate and review this on iTunes. It really helps us out a ton in a couple of ways. It encourages our heart, helps us to keep yes. going in this whole thing. So true. And it also helps to get exposure out there. It kind of helps it to climb in the charts, so to speak, so that more people can have access to and be exposed to these great stories from other people. Um, speaking of stories, if you have a story, we'd love to hear it. We would love to read it. Go and submit it to nothingiswasted.com slash stories. That's a place on our website where we are featuring other stories that you haven't heard on the podcast. So go and submit your story right there. Follow us on Instagram at nothingiswastedministries. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn, and you can follow Aubrey at obsamp, A-U-B-S-A-M-P. We are also continuing this adoption series next week with some uh, great guests, Johanna and Brian Canalongo. They have quite a story of adoption, one yes. that uh, is heart-wrenching, but one of faithfulness, their faithfulness and obedience to God and God's faithfulness yeah. to them as well. Yeah. So let's go ahead and listen to part of your conversation with the Canalongos. I started hearing God's whisper and 
he was saying, I have something to tell you. Are, are you, do you want to lean in? And um, I remember being at a conference. It was called a, a Women of Faith conference. And hearing Stephen Kirsch, hearing uh, Mary Beth Chapman talk, which um, blows my mind too, how we've come full circle. But uh, I just remember being completely wrecked by their testimony and completely broken. And I remember the Lord saying, I have a child for you. 